We are in the middle of our emphasis on prayers. I already mentioned, and I have heard a lot of wonderful reports about what God has been doing as a result. Many of you have told me have been greatly encouraged by the daily devotionals that have been written by staff and uh, some of the elders. Uh, Haven't they been great, by the way? And reading those, it's just been so cool to see the insights that different folks have had. Been greatly encouraged. In addition, we've been meeting here every morning at 6.30 for prayer, and some of you have come and just enjoyed sweet times of intercession. Well, of course, we've also had messages and life groups that have, are kind of drilling down on how this applies to our own life and how, how prayer impacts us. Uh, those things are going to continue through the end of next week. Next Friday and Saturday, as I mentioned, will be the 24-hour prayer event. The fact is, is that when we talk about prayer, and I realize this uh, as, we, as we talk openly with one another, none of us are experts on this, right? All of us could use some further motivation and boost. And I've said before that we just want our batting average to uh, go up a little bit, okay? We want to see progress in terms of our frequency of prayer and in terms of uh, our faith that we exhibit when we pray, is that all of our lives have some degree of worry and fear. Have you ever thought of maybe using that fear and worry as a turning point for prayer, that it's an opportunity to maybe even recycle fear and worry for prayer? Think about that. What God is desiring is for us to come to him like a child comes to a parent. That doesn't mean the child gets everything that he asks of the parent, but the child trusts God with a simple faith. And that's what I hope we can get at. Um, it's not our theological vocabulary that impresses God and what he wants to happen. Our will becomes aligned with his. We have to see a God who is bigger than our problems, bigger than our weaknesses, bigger than our biggest dreams that we have, that he's able to work in the midst of those. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That was never more true than when we talk about prayer. It's not about doing great things for God. It's about God doing great things in and through us. And that was really part of the message of Luke 11 that we started looking at when we got into this series. So let's stand as we look at our passage. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Lord, make us a people of prayer. Cause us to grow and make some progression in our faith and in our frequency. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't want to stretch this illustration too far and imply that the man who was awakened is exactly like God. In other words, that he's irked by our requests, that he's bothered by us coming to him, even though I know that there are many Christians who think that about God. We have here an example of a man who was in who was knocking, and the point is, is that there needs to be persistence in our asking God of things. But there's another lesson here that was common to the Hebrew culture, and that is a lesson from the lesser to the greater. It's one by comparison. In other words, the sleepy neighbor responded not for friendship, but out of irritation. And he is in contrast with God, who the Old Testament says never sleeps, never slumbers. So you're not talking about a God who is pestered or irritated by us coming to him with our requests. By comparison, if a tired, selfish neighbor finally meets the need of a bothersome friend, how much more will a loving Heavenly Father meet the needs of his own children whom he dearly loves. From the lesser to the greater. God often desires us or waits for our passionate persistence in prayer. It isn't that God approaches us with great reluctance and he needs to be persuaded by us. Our persistence doesn't change God as much as it changes us. It aligns our hearts with God's heart. It fits our will with his. And and what happens is that whether God answers in the affirmative or he even denies our request, we know better what the will of God is. See, God doesn't need information from us about a particular thing. He's omniscient. He already knows. We're not going to change his ultimate design or plan. And I would suggest that God has not only ordained the end, but he has ordained the means to that end. For instance, God is determined who will know him before the foundation of the world. The Bible says in in Ephesians that God elects those who come to salvation. That's the end. But the means is our faith and repentance. God has determined uh, that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the end. But the means is our obedience. God is determined to build his church but the means is our service to him and our preaching of the gospel. God has determined that the end is going to be unity in the body of Christ, 
but the means is the exercise of our spiritual gifts and love for one another. So God reaches his ends through his means. And one of the means that God has given us is prayer. As we pray, we are the means at which God achieves his ends. It's not about changing God's mind. It's not about changing God's plan. It's not about giving God information he doesn't have. It's not about tweaking the circumstances that, you know, somehow got from under God or he didn't anticipate. It's simply us being in line with the heart and will of God. And prayer aligns our heart with his. Prayer helps us discern what God wants. I mean, when I am praying about something in which there's not a specific scripture about, not a specific promise to go to, maybe, maybe it might be about a circumstance or something, I don't always know the immediate answer. I may not know the will of God. But when God says no to that request, that helps me to pray more specifically and accurately by at least eliminating one possibility. For instance, when our church was looking for property, we prayed and we prayed, and we looked and we looked, and we found some property at Evans and 65 at the corner. And we went through all the machinations that a church has to go through to acquire that property and get approval from the church. And we finally got to the end of that, and I called the bank, and I said, we'll take it. And they said, Sorry, someone just bought it yesterday. Now, we could say that that was disappointing, but God's hand was clearly at work. That was one option that closed. We knew better the will of God, and it wasn't 65 and Evans. And so months later, we searched some more, prayed some more, and we found some property at 65 and Division behind Cooper Estates. And again, we went through all the things that you have to go through to get the body to approve the acquisition. We finally got approval. Only this time, I wasn't going to just say we wanted it. I went with a check in hand to make sure that we would secure this piece of property. So I go to the real estate agent, and he says, sorry, somebody just bought it an hour ago. We prayed, we desired it, and God said no. And it was in a fashion that was as clear as it could be. You see, God was not saying no to the church having property. He was saying no to the location. <laughs> and here we are now enjoying this place for the last eight or nine years. God knew all along what we needed. He knew all along where we needed to be. And it just took a couple of tries for us to figure it out. You see, when God says no, that can be some of his best intervention on our behalf. We knocked. We kept asking. See, if, if a cranky neighbor will answer an obnoxious friend, how much more will a perfect, loving, heavenly Father attend to us? 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Or if he asks for you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, here's the reason for our boldness. And here is the foundation upon which we can have confidence and faith in our prayers. You have earthly fathers who will give you things when you ask. And these earthly fathers often will operate with wrong motives. Sometimes we're, we're too tired to care. We may not even have the time to care. This morning, I was in my office early in the morning, and our granddaughter who spent the night gets up and comes upstairs to my office and says, Grandpa, would you help me put together this Lego thing? Okay? And, you know, a whole bag of Legos and I'm sitting there trying to get things uploaded, you know, for the, for the guys to get today for the, for the message. And I said, okay, Hazel, I've got 10 minutes. I can give you 10 minutes. Can we do that? And then I've got to get back to this. And I got to thinking, that's an imperfect. And she was fine with that, by the way. Thankfully, she was very patient. But that was an imperfect grandfather. Our Heavenly Father never says, I'm too busy never says, you know, I've only got five minutes for you. Never. Always has the time. Is never irked by us. But that's not what earthly fathers are like. We sometimes screw up. But even in the midst of all that, we know deep down, at least most of us knew, that our fathers cared about us. How much more will a heavenly father attend to us? who's perfect in his love when we have a need. When you need a fish, would your earthly father give you a rattlesnake? Of course not. When you need an egg, he wouldn't give you a scorpion. See, the most important aspect to our prayer life is what we believe about God. So if you have little prayer, you have a little God. Notice verse 13. When you go to ask God for whatever you ask God for, God gives you the Holy Spirit. You ask for comfort, he gives you a comforter. You ask for help, he gives you the helper. You ask for truth, he gives you the teacher of truth. You ask for power, he gives you the spirit of power. You ask for wisdom, he gives you the spirit of wisdom. You ask for guidance, he gives you the guide. You ask for love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. He gives you the Holy Spirit who releases that fruit in your life. That's the generosity of God. You ask for a gift, he gives you the giver. You ask for the effect, he gives you the cause. You ask for a product, he gives you the source. Now that's great generosity. God says, in effect, we have so many needs. We need so much power, so much wisdom, so much guidance, so much help. I will put my spirit within you. And you now have the giver, the source, and the cause. So that is generosity that is overflowing for the believer.
My dear friends, God can accomplish more in one day through the power of prayer than we can accomplish in our own strength in a lifetime. Now, that's the truth of it. That's not hyperbole. That is the truth. God can accomplish more in one day by our prayers than we can accomplish in our own strength in a lifetime. Mark Batterson wrote, prayer is our plumb line. It's also the true measure of a person. No one is greater than their prayer life. Our potential is directly proportional to our prayer life. It is the single greatest indicator of our success in any endeavor. You see, maybe one of these days, somebody around here is just going to believe God at his word. One day, somebody is just going to be just like a child and not try to explain away the promises, not try to theologize faith into irrelevance and just believe God to do something audacious, something bold, something big, so that others look at him and say, you're crazy. How dare you do that? You're just obnoxious. You're not very theologically learned. To which at that point we just need to say, go back in your hole. Because the fact is, God wants us to respond to him like a child does to a parent. And you know what? No loving father gives everything a child asks, right? But I would rather have a batting average asking God for big things, doing two or three out of ten big things I ask, than to ask for nothing. Because 100% of the prayers you don't ask for go unanswered. I'd rather have three out of ten than zero. The person of prayer is moved by the heart of God, much more than fancy words. See, faith like a child who trusts the parent, that the parent has his or her goodwill in mind. You know, when we take our kids to the dentist, do you realize that we are taking them to be in the hands of a man or a woman who has a drill and is going to put that drill in their mouth? who will make some ungodly noises. And they will put drugs in them that will cause them to be semi-comatose. We do that because we know it is for their good. Our kids endure that because they trust the parent. And we tell them all kinds of things about what that experience is going to be like. And most of them may even be true. (laughs) But it's upon their faith in us that they endure the experience. They trust us. They believe that we love them and that we have their best in mind. That's the faith of a child. We don't give them everything they ask for. We give them what is best to suit their real needs. And we are imperfect in our knowledge and in our love. But God has every angle covered, every contingency 
in mind. Every future possibility mapped out. And he loves us unconditionally. How much faith does a perfect heavenly father like that deserve from his children? We think we don't have time for prayer? (laughs) Perhaps prayer is the real work and everything else is secondary. Martin Luther once declared, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. There is a good guilt-inducing statement right there for all of us, isn't it? The more you have to do, the more you have to pray. Let us believe him enough to help us in the little things and to have the power to do great things. In Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker, is a story of a General Cecil Richardson. He's a retired chief of chaplains for the United States Air Force. And as a major general, he understands the chain of command. So when the Holy Spirit gives marching orders, you salute and you say, yes, sir. You fall into rank and you obey the orders. And that's what happened one Saturday morning when he was awakened at about 5.30 a.m. He had an inexplicable prompting to get new glasses. His wife had been on him for years that he needed new glasses, and he ignored her prompting. Men, take this note. Your wife's voice in the Holy Spirit's is usually always the same thing. She wants you to know that, okay? All right. The, the new prompting was a strange one at a strange time. And the problem, of course, is that optical shops usually aren't open that early on the weekends. So he goes to Denny's early in the morning and has breakfast. And after breakfast, he visited the nearest vision center as soon as it opened. And when he got to the shop, he felt led to tell the woman behind the counter that he was a chaplain. And he was kind of wrestling with God about this in his head because he didn't want to be that guy that was like asking for a freebie or asking for a discount. You know, those people that expect something just because of what they do. He didn't want to be that guy. But he felt led that the Holy Spirit was prompting him to say it, so he just blurted out, I'm a chaplain. And that's when this woman started trembling, and his tears filled her eyes. She said, my husband is in the military and stationed abroad, and I just found out I have cancer. I have no idea what to do, so yesterday a friend and I prayed that God would send me a chaplain. And here you are. Those are the moments that you are reminded that the heavenly Father cares about every detail of our life. Now, General Richardson had his senses trained to hear the Holy Spirit. And I would suggest that the Word of God and prayer had an awful lot to do with that. The C.S. Lewis Institute has a story about author Ken Gobb. And in it, God writes this. Do you believe that God not only loves you, but knows where you are and what you're doing every minute of the day? I certainly do. After an amazing experience I had several years ago, I was driving on I-75 near Dayton, Ohio with my wife and children. We turned off the highway for a rest and refreshment stop. My wife, Barbara, and the children went into the restaurant, but I suddenly felt the need to scratch my legs or to stretch my legs. 
Scratch too, I suppose. But So I waved them on ahead and said I'd join them shortly. I bought a soft drink and walked toward a Dairy Queen. Feelings of self-pity were enshrouding my mind. Even though I loved the Lord and my ministry, I felt drained and burdened. My cup was empty. Suddenly, the impatient ringing of a telephone nearby jarred me out of my doldrums. I was, uh, it was coming from a phone booth at a service station on the corner. Was no one going to answer this phone? Traffic noise from the busy intersection must have drowned out the sound because the service station attendant continued looking after his customers, oblivious to the incessant ringing. Why didn't someone answer that phone? The ringing continued. I began thinking it might be important, some kind of an emergency. So curiosity finally overcame my indifference. I walked over to the booth, picked up the phone. Hello, I said casually as I took a long sip of my drink. The operator said, long distance for Ken Gob. I almost choked on my ice. My eyes must have widened considerably. Swallowing hard, I said, you're crazy. Then realizing I shouldn't be speaking to the operator like that, I said, this can't be. I was walking down the road, not bothering anybody. The phone was ringing. Is Ken Gob there? The operator interrupted. I have a long-distance call for him. It took a moment for me to gain control of my stammering from the surprise. I finally replied, yes, he's here. Searching for a possible explanation, I wondered if I could possibly be on Candid Camera or a similar TV show. I looked for the hidden camera and even tried to straighten up my hair. And impatiently, the operator repeated, I have a long-distance call for Ken Gobb, sir. Is he here? Still shaken and perplexed, I asked, how in the world did you reach me here? I was walking down the road. The payphone started ringing. I only answered it by chance. You can't mean me. Well, the operator said with some firmness, is Mr. Gobb there or isn't he? Yes, I am Ken Gobb, I said, finally convinced by the tone of her voice that the call was a real one. Then I heard another voice say, yes, that's him, operator. That's Ken Gobb. I listened dumbfounded as the strange voice introduced herself. I'm Millie from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, Mr. Gobb, but I'm desperate. Please help me. What can I do for you, I asked. She began weeping. Finally, she regained control and continued, I was about to commit suicide. I had just finished writing a note, and I began to pray and tell God I really didn't want to do this. Then I suddenly remembered seeing you on television, and I thought if I could talk to you, you could help me. I knew that was impossible because I didn't know how to reach you. I didn't even know anyone who could help me find you. Then some numbers came to my mind, and I scribbled them down. At this point, she began weeping again, and I prayed silently for wisdom to help her. She said, I looked at the numbers and thought how wonderful it would be If I had a miracle from God, could he possibly have given me Ken Gobb's phone number? I decided to try calling it. I can't believe I'm talking to you. Are you in your office in California? I said, I don't have an office in California. My office is in uh, Yakima, Washington. The surprise, she said, oh, really? Then where are you? I replied, don't you know? You made the call. She said, I don't know where I'm calling. I just dialed the number I wrote down on this paper. Ma'am, you won't believe this, I answered, but I'm in a phone booth in Dayton, Ohio. Really, she exclaimed. Well, what are you doing there? I kidded her gently. Well, I'm answering the phone. It was ringing as I walked by, so I answered it. Knowing the encounter could have been arranged only by, by God, I began to talk to her and counsel her. And as she told me of her despair and frustration, the presence of the Holy Spirit flooded the phone booth and gave me words of wisdom beyond my ability. In a matter of moments, she prayed the sinner's prayer and met the one who could lead her out of her situation into a new life. 
I walked away from that telephone booth with an electrifying sense of our Heavenly Father's concern and love for each of his children. What were the astronomical odds of this happening without God? With all the millions of phones and innumerable combinations of numbers, knowing an all-knowing God could have caused Millie in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to call that number in that phone booth in that particular moment of time. Forgetting my melancholy and now bursting with exhilaration, I headed back to my family wondering if they would believe my story. I thought about not telling of this far-fetched encounter, but I couldn't possibly keep it to myself. Barb, I shouted, you won't believe this. God knows where we are. (laughs) Far-fetched. Impossible. That's God's territory. Can we believe God enough to do the big things? to really help us in time of need? Well, the answer to that question is, what kind of God are you talking about? Because the God of the Bible, the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ is just that kind of God who loves to respond when you knock, who loves to answer when you call, and who loves to do the impossible. Let's pray.